Good morning. What will you do if you were mocked by your friends because you talked about Jesus to them? What will you do when people decide to keep away from you because you are that gospel guy? How will you respond if your family tells you not to talk about Jesus anymore? Would you choose to remain silent for the sake of peace at home or even among your friends? Will you avoid gospel conversation because you and I are concerned about our safety? Will you choose to refrain from talking about Jesus because talking about Jesus brings you problems? Paul answers these questions and encourages us as he, in, his, in his second letter to Pastor Timothy. And in the first sermon that Dave Furman preached from chapter 1, and verses 1 to 7, Paul encourages Timothy by saying that God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and self-control. So fan into flame the gift that God has given you. Don't stop preaching the gospel. And then Tom Samuel last week told us from verses 12, sorry, verses 18 to 12, that we should not be ashamed of the gospel, but suffer for the sake of the gospel. Because the gospel has the power to save God's enemies. Your suffering should not stop you from sharing what will save God's enemies. That was what we heard last week. Today, Paul encourages us from 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verses 13 to 18 by saying, be committed to the gospel. That's the main point of a passage. Be committed to the gospel. And he doesn't say why we should be committed to the gospel, but he talks about how we should be committed to the gospel. So if you look at the text for 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 13 to 18, we have three points. How do we stay committed to the gospel? Number one, hold on to the gospel. And that's in verse 13. Number two, guard the gospel. And that's in verse 14. Number three, live unashamed lives. That's in verses 15 to 18. So how do we stay committed to the gospel? Number one, you hold to the gospel, and that's in verse 13. You guard the gospel, that's in verse 14. And lastly, you live unashamed lives, and that's in verses 15 to 18. Let's look at the first point in verse 13. Hold on to the gospel. Paul writes, follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And Paul encourages Timothy to keep, preserve, or conform to the pattern of sound words that he has heard from Paul. Stick to this pattern, Paul says. Hold fast to it. 
retain it. He says, embrace this pattern, Paul says. The pattern that I have shown you. And Paul is particular that Timothy sticks to this pattern. If you're an artist, you will have a pattern in mind that you will follow in your drawing or painting. Or if you're an architect, you will have a pattern or a model in your mind that you will want to follow for your design. Similarly, Paul says, Timothy, I want you to hold on to this pattern, the framework of sound words that Paul has taught him. And, And where do we find this? Well, you find it throughout Paul and letters. But if you look at chapter 1, and and Tom expounded this last week, it's there in verses 9 and 10 of chapter 1. It says, Who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace, which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to life through the gospel. So here's the pattern. Here's the framework that Paul taught Timothy. We are sinners who deserve God's judgment. But God decided to save us. Not because our words were righteous and they caught his attention. But because this was his plan from the beginning of time. To show us sinners his grace in Christ Jesus by punishing our sin on Jesus Christ. Now... God promises life to all who repent of their sins and believe in the work of Jesus Christ. The gospel. The gospel is God's good news for God's enemies. Sinners have hope and it is in Jesus Christ. The the, the gospel saves us from our sins and creates within us new hearts. Hearts that once lived for self will now choose to live for Jesus. Even if it means that you and I will face ridicule, mockery, abandonment, loneliness, persecution, and even death. The gospel takes hold of our lives and moves us to live for Jesus and not self. Only the gospel can transform self-centered people into Christ-centered people. That's the framework Paul has taught Timothy. Paul wants Timothy to stick to this pattern. And following this pattern is important because these are sound words. Sound simply means healthy. The gospel is healthy in that it creates healthy souls. Healthy teaching creates healthy souls. Unhealthy teaching only caters to more unhealthiness of souls. Our souls are already unhealthy because of sin. We don't need more unhealthy food. We need healthy teaching. Teaching that will show us that we are sick. Teaching that will tell us that we are sick. And teaching that will heal us of our sickness. Only the gospel is powerful enough to do that. And that's why this message, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is of supreme value to the church of God. It's of first importance to the church. The gospel tells us that we are sick because of sin. Our sickness is in our deadness. Ephesians 2, 1 says, we were dead in our transgression and sins. Dead people are insensitive people. They cannot see. They cannot hear. 
or feel anything. They are unresponsive to God. That means the spiritually dead people cannot see or understand how glorious God is. Sin is more attractive to us than God. And we are born with this inner inclination, bent like for sin. We are born as sin lovers. Therefore, Paul says in Ephesians 2, we are children of wrath. Our deadness is our weakness. Dead people cannot help themselves. They cannot save themselves. But God, but God chose to save us, even though we are helpless and in an unhealthy state. How? Because He is gracious and He is merciful. He sent His Son to save us by becoming sin on the cross. Friends, friends, do you want to see God's mercy toward us? Look at the cross. Do you want to see how much God dislikes the sin in us? Look at Christ on the cross. Do you want to see God's love for His enemies? Look at the cross of Christ. There, Jesus took our sin and He died. And he rose again on the third day. And now he offers life to those who come to him in faith and repentance. This Jesus is now Lord. And he's in heaven. And one day he will return as judge. And he will judge those who reject him now. But will gather. He will graciously gather those who embrace him now. If there is anyone seated here today who hasn't submitted to Jesus Christ in faith and repentance after all that he has done for you. There is damnation that waits you when Jesus comes. I will plead with you. Submit to Jesus. We, Redeemer Church of Dubai, has no other message than the message of redemption. Jesus is our Redeemer and we have no other. It is therefore an insult to Jesus to distort this glorious message. Satan is God's enemy and he has succeeded in twisting this message. He hates it when sinners come to Christ. He hates it when God is glorified by sinners coming to Christ. So he fights against God by distorting this glorious message. And he works in deceptive ways. And it is important to identify the deception of the evil one. He comes out with false gospels. False gospels deceive us. And only the true gospel delivers us. Let me list you some of the false gospels that we have. And how Satan successfully twists this glorious gospel. The health wealth gospel. You know, Jesus came so that you and I will be healthy, wealthy, and more powerful. If you want to be healthy, wealthy, and more powerful, believe in Jesus. What keeps you from being healthy, wealthy, and more powerful is your lack of faith. Believe in Jesus. Well, friends, the gospel is not about God making us wealthier, healthier, or powerful. It is about God saving us from our sins. In fact, if you and I read the New Testament... The scripture teaches that if you believe in Jesus, what follows us is not prosperity, but persecution. 
Secondly, the many ways to God gospel. Now give people the freedom to believe whatever they want about how they can get to heaven. We should not act, Christians, we should not act like we are the only ones who possess this truth. Let people decide for themselves. Stop discriminating people. Don't tell them that they're sinners. They're nice people. You know what Jesus said? I, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one, no one comes to the Father except through me. There aren't many ways to get to heaven. There is only one way, and that way is Jesus. You have to come to Jesus to get to the Father. That you've got to understand, therefore, who Jesus is and what he has done. Jesus is God who became man and who came to take upon himself the judgment that you and I rightfully deserve because of our sins. Look, Jesus did not come to make us healthier. He came to make us holy through his death. Jesus did not come so that we can have more money. Jesus came so that we will be saved from the love of money. And because only Jesus, only Jesus perfectly and completely satisfied God's wrath against our sins, there is salvation in no other name but in the name of Jesus. And God is committed to the good of all who believe in Jesus, whether in riches or poverty, whether in sickness or sorrow, whether we have good health or poor health, purifying us within, helping us fight sin and preparing us to be with him for all of eternity. This is the gospel we need. And this is the gospel that saves us from sin. Submit to this gospel. As a church, we want to hold on to this gospel by God's grace. Friends, sharing this gospel is not going to be easy. There is going to be opposition and ridicule that will come our way. Because the gospel rejects worldly wisdom, confronts sin, and opposes self-righteousness. You and I may even be called a fool. You may even lose, lose your job. But don't fall into the temptation of distorting and diluting this message because the eternity of people hangs on this message. Don't let the fear of rejection drive you away from people. Let the fear of God move you to people and plead. Plead with all love as an ambassador of Christ. Be reconciled to God. Plead Because you know that they need a savior. Plead because you love them. Plead because you know that the gospel alone can save them. It's kind of interesting that Paul's emphasis in this verse is not just an orthodoxy. He writes, hold on to the pattern in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. How one holds on to this gospel is also significant. Timothy's ministry must be characterized by by faith and love. And these are qualities that should characterize Timothy because of his relationship with Christ. You must see Christ differently, and you must see people differently. You must rest in the work of Christ, and you must also be compelled by the love of Christ. 
Your, your hearts must be characterized by conviction in Christ and by compassion for people. So in the midst of opposition and rejection, it is your faith in Christ that will hold you and protect you from disbelief. And it is your love for people that will cause you to relentlessly pursue people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, even at the face of rejection. Therefore, faith and love is important in your Christian life. Church, pray. Pray that as church members, we would proclaim the gospel with clarity, courage, conviction, and compassion. So how do we stay committed to the gospel? Number one, you hold on to the pattern of sound teaching. Number two, guard the gospel. In verse 14, Paul writes, By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. So not only should Timothy keep the sound words, he must also guard it. It has the idea of of protecting or defending. It carries with it the weight of keeping watch. You are always on alert. Timothy must defend it against every attack and never allow it to be changed or modified to the slightest degree. Any shift in the gospel causes unhealthy elements to creep in and it distorts the glorious gospel. Look at the two things that Paul says about the gospel in verse 14. It is the good deposit. It is good because it comes from God and it creates good health. And because it comes from God, it belongs to God and it brings Him glory through the fruit that this deposit bears. It is good because it bears good fruit. Timothy must protect this good, God-glorifying deposit. It is not just the good deposit. Secondly, it's also entrusted to Timothy. In verse 14. That's the language of stewardship. Because it has been entrusted to him by God, Timothy must give, must, must give great care and, and, and pay careful attention to guard this good deposit. This is a matter concerning the destiny of people, and so he cannot allow this message to be twisted. This is not Timothy's message. This is God's message. This is God making an appeal through us. It is the message of God's reconciliation for sinners. It is not our invention. It is God's revelation. And and so Timothy must be careful that he guards the gospel. Friends, one one of the reasons we elders expose the false gospels here in our church is for you to see the error in them and flee from them. We, we don't want you to be deceived. As elders, we have the responsibility to point you to the true gospel. We are concerned about the purity of the gospel, and this is our call. And therefore, we want the gospel to inform our church service. We want the gospel to inform our singing and to inform our prayers. We want the gospel to direct our confession of sins. We believe in the forgiveness of sins because of the gospel. And in our preaching, our emphasis is on the gospel because we recognize that it is not what we do that matters, but what Christ has done. 
We want to be clear that our works cannot save us, but Christ's work alone saves us. The reason we have a class in the gospel during our membership class is because we believe that the church stands on this message. But we also want people who decide to join this church to know what the Bible has to say about the gospel. We don't want people to place their hope in other gospels. But in the person of Christ, whose work alone can rescue us, redeem us, and restore us into a relationship with God. But friends, the enemy is strong. The enemy is strong and Timothy cannot guard it on his own. Timothy needs wisdom, courage, boldness, skill, love, humility, strength, encouragement, insight, and foresight to guard the gospel. And so Paul encourages Timothy by saying, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within you, guard. This is a reminder that Timothy cannot carry out this sacred task on his own. He can't. He needs God. He should trust God to fulfill this task. But this is also an encouragement that the one who has entrusted the gospel to Timothy, who gives his command to guard the gospel, is with him. See, God calls you to guard the gospel, and God empowers you to guard the gospel. The Holy Spirit, whose desire is to, is to promote Christ in the church, is there to assist you. This, this expression is a reminder that we cannot fulfill God's call for our life by our own strength. We will be able to do what God wants us to do only because His presence is with us. The Redeemer Church of Dubai has been here for six years. And it has not been here for six years because we have had great men protect this church. Yes, we have had faithful men who have strived hard. Thank God for these men who have strived hard to hold on to this gospel, to preach the gospel faithfully and to guard the gospel. But, but it was God who gave them all that they needed to guard the gospel. So God should be trusted. God's presence is our encouragement and hope, not the presence of educated and experienced pastors. God is the hero in this church, and by His enablement, the gospel will stay guarded. So as we, as we look forward to the future, may our hope not rest in men who will come and go, but in the God who owns this message and the church. Can I tell the church something here? Guarding the gospel is not just a pastoral responsibility. The church members can also do that. Let me share you four ways in which you can guard the gospel. Number one, when you share the gospel with your friends, make sure you share it as the scripture teaches. Point them to the word. Let the gospel you share be rooted in the word. When you do this, you got the gospel. Two, when you pray with your friends, let your prayers be shaped by the gospel. Explain the expression in Jesus' name in the end. Now, the expression is not a magical mantra. 
Actually, our prayer should never be heard by God. But it will be heard by God. Because Jesus took our sins and He paid it to the full. And because of Jesus, we are declared worthy to come to God and call Him Father. So the expression, in Jesus' name, is the gospel element in our prayer. Three. In your Christian conversations, point people to Jesus. Christians shouldn't be having gospel-less conversations. We are not here to make people feel guilty. The gospel is not intended to leave us in guilt or in fear. The gospel blesses sinners with hope. So in our conversations, point people not to their failures, but to the hope there is in the gospel. When you do that, you got the gospel. And fourth, in your family conversations, talk about Jesus. Tell your children of their need for a redeemer. Encourage your spouse with the gospel. Read a book on the gospel and see how it fosters love and humility in marriage. When you do such things, husbands, when you do such things, you are leading the family to place their hope, the family's hope, in the gospel. Don't reduce the, ch- the gospel to a church message or a message for conversion. The gospel says that we need a redeemer always. And our families should always be confessing that we need Jesus daily. When you do that, you got the gospel. So Paul says that we should be committed to the gospel. And how? Well... One, you hold on to the gospel. Two, you guard the gospel. And lastly, in verses 15 to 18, he says, live unashamed lives. And that's in verses 15 to 18. Friends, this this charge to Timothy is not an easy one to carry out. Standing for the sake of the gospel comes with a price. It can cost you your friendship, your status, your family, your job, and if God wills, your life. Paul has been preaching the gospel all his life after his conversion. And right now he's in the prison because of the gospel. Preaching the gospel can create enemies and even lead to persecution. But Paul will not quit. You know what he writes? I am not ashamed of the gospel from the prison. You can beat this guy countless times. You can imprison this guy. You can bring him close to death experience. You can stone this guy. You can cause him to experience shipwreck, experience dangers from rivers, robbers, enemies in the wilderness, at sea, experience hunger and thirst without food, in cold and exposure, and even toil and hardship. But you cannot stop this guy from preaching Christ. You can insult this guy, mock this guy, abandon this guy, and put him in chains in the prison, but he will still confess that I am not ashamed of the gospel. Here's why. Because he's confident that his trust in Jesus is not misplaced. Jesus is for real. He died. He rose again. And it is in Jesus' name that there is salvation. The gospel of Jesus... I don't want to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because the gospel of Jesus Christ has the power to save sinners. Therefore, there is no disgrace in suffering for Jesus. But the question 
It's whether Timothy will be ashamed of the gospel or not. Will challenges in ministry, will opposition, will rejection cause Timothy to be ashamed of his call to pastor? So Paul wants to encourage Timothy to not be ashamed. And he brings in two examples. First example is in verse 15. You find people who are ashamed of the gospel. He says, you are aware of all who are in Asia. They turned away from me and among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. And Paul mentions two names. Looks like they might have been church leaders in the Asia region of which Ephesus was the capital city. And these, these, these leaders had turned away from Paul. In fact, there are other people who joined with him. It could have been that Paul had asked them to join him at Rome while he's in the prison and help him by testifying for him. But fear, fear from persecution held them from identifying with Paul. And so Paul sees them as people who have turned away from him. They have not abandoned the faith, but they have turned their back on Paul. And Paul does not mention why. Well, it may be that they did not want the same fate as Paul. Perhaps they feared the same fate. When Paul needed help, they chose not to help him because helping Paul meant suffering, chains, rejection, abandonment. But then there is this exception in verses 16 to 18. A guy who is not ashamed of Paul's imprisonment. Paul writes, May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly, and he found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you will know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. In, in contrast to those who deserted Paul, Paul mentions this one man, who refreshed him. Look at the three things that Paul writes about Onesiphorus. He refreshed Paul. He was unashamed of Paul. And he searched earnestly for Paul. Now he came to Rome. Because he was unashamed of identifying with Paul. Ridicule and chains would not prevent him from serving Paul. That, that Onesiphorus had to search for Paul earnestly may imply that Paul's imprisonment at Rome this time would have been more severe. But he, in spite of that, he chooses to come to Rome even if it means chains for him. Paul was refreshed by the presence of this faithful brother. And so Paul wishes that God would be merciful to him on that day. Paul knew that he would never again be free and in a position to reciprocate such kindness from Onesiphorus. So he commits the responsibility to the Lord that Onesiphorus' mercies might not go unrewarded. That his mercy would be recognized when Jesus will judge everyone. Here's the thing. He was not ashamed to come to Paul like the others. He was a bold Christian. He serves as an encouragement to Timothy. Onesiphorus' choice to be with Paul should motivate Timothy to not be ashamed of the gospel. Look at those guys who abandoned Paul. They chose covetous, shame, and self-indulgence. But Timothy 
like Onesiphorus, is encouraged to demonstrate love, courage, boldness, and faithfulness. The example that Paul presents in this passage poses a serious question for all of us today. Which example are you? Friends, do you refrain from sharing the gospel because you may be rejected? Do you fear sharing the gospel because you will lose friends, be abandoned by family, or even earn a poor reputation? Do you avoid gospel conversations because you are concerned about how people will treat you rather than how Jesus sees them? Are you concerned more about your safety or their salvation? Do you, do you flee from opportunities that God opens for you to be a gospel witness because it might cost you your job, your name, or your friendship? Or are you like Onesiphorus? who works hard to refresh others, even if it means that he may have to pay a price. Are you like Onesiphorus, who was not ashamed of the gospel? In 1984, when I was eight years old, our church held a baptism service in the Alcan Beach area in Charza. There were many buildings. It was an open area. And we had a guest speaker from India, and he was in the sea baptizing people. After a few people got baptized, some cops appeared on the scene, and they walked toward the place where the baptism was being held. And I'm telling you what I saw on that day. I saw that our church members walked back to their cars and leave the area. But I saw two men stand at the shore and one man in the sea. The man in the sea was ready to be baptized. The man who was supposed to baptize left the place. The cops approached the two men who stood at the shore, one of which was my father. I didn't want my my dad to have any problems, so I ran to my dad and I held his hand. And the cops asked my dad for explanation, and he told the cops that they were baptizing people because this was part of the Christian life. And so the cops took my dad's pataka, it's the labor card, back then it was a blue book, and they asked him to come to the police station. But they warned him not to repeat this again. When he got his pataka back, thank God. As I look back, I know that my dad, the man who stood by him, and the man in the sea were not ashamed of the gospel, even if it meant they had to go to jail. Friends, the call to discipleship is a call to abandon self for Jesus. It is a call to take up the cross, deny the self, and follow Jesus. It is a call to abandon any name that you and I would want to make for ourselves. Abandon any relationship about a relationship with Jesus or any reputation than a reputation for Jesus. 
Discipleship calls for costly commitments. It is a war against itself. Onesiphorus' life is a testimony to the fruit of the gospel. Paul's life is a witness to the power of the gospel. But you know what? Paul and Onesiphorus are not the heroes. Jesus is. Consider Jesus. He was betrayed by his own disciples. He was misunderstood by his own family. He was rejected by his own people. He was tempted to make a name for himself. He was tempted to flee death. Yet he submitted to the Father's will. Even if it meant death. Because his aim was to glorify the Father through his death and our salvation. He fought shame and he fought disgrace. Shame could not own him. Disgrace could not master him. Shame did all that it could. And yet Jesus chose the Father's glory. He did all this to save us from the judgment that you and I deserved. We deserve judgment because we rejected God and because we wanted to make a name for ourselves. And because of Jesus, now we can live a life that is not ashamed of the gospel. Because of Jesus, we can abandon making a name for ourselves. Because of Jesus' love, we can fight abandonment and persecution. Because of Jesus, the gospel is worth dying for. Let's pray. God, we thank you for Jesus, the one who took our judgment upon himself so that we would be saved from your holy wrath. We thank you because you have dealt with all our sins. In your son Jesus. And so we are free. So even as we pray to you. God we cling to Christ. Our savior. Our lord and our hope. So God we pray. That as a church. We would not be ashamed of the gospel. But would be committed to the gospel. That you would give us grace. To hold fast to the gospel. To guard the gospel. And to live unashamed lives. That we would not fear rejection, opposition, ridicule, loneliness, abandonment, and even imprisonment. We pray that you will prepare us to follow you faithfully. We pray this for your Son's glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.